Living Adventurously is brought to you in partnership with Kamut, the route planning and navigation app that helps you make the most of your outdoor adventures. Whether you're cycling, hiking, running or bikepacking, Kamut's easy to use technology will get you out the door and exploring more of the great outdoors. You can see where I've been exploring by checking out the highlights of my journey on Kamut. Just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Alistair Humphreys. I set out on a bicycle journey around Yorkshire to speak to interesting, ordinary people who, in very different ways, are making an effort to live adventurously. I wanted to talk about what they do, about the barriers they've faced along the way, and to seek their perspective on some of the big questions that all of us encounter in our lives. Welcome to Living Adventurously. <laughs> I've written here, needs intro music. Um, okay, here we go. Um... <laughs> That'll do. I woke up really early on the banks of the River Wharf, packed away my gear covered in dew and set off to ride to Hebden Bridge. I stopped on the way to mosey around the steep cobble streets of Haworth where the Bronte sisters lived and wrote their books. And then I slogged up the Oxenhope Pass. It's one of the Tour de France hill climbs when it came this way. And then up onto the beautiful, broad, empty moorland before hurtling for miles down the other side into the quirky, creative, outdoorsy town of Hebden Bridge. So I was pretty hungry by the time I reached Brant's house and I gratefully accepted his offer of scrambled eggs. And then Brant took me on a short, sharp, fun run through the woods across the canal opposite his house. And then, for some bizarre reason, I can't remember why, we sat on his kitchen floor for me to ask him about his varied life of bikes and businesses. (laughs) Uh, Brant, thank you very much for um, welcoming me to your house, making me scrambled egg. No problem. Uh, It's very nice to meet you. Um, One thing I'm interested in is... um, how to get started in stuff Mm. in life going from having an idea to actually making it happen and from uh over our scrambled eggs it seems that you have done a lot of starting of stuff yeah i i i guess i can only talk from from sort of my experience um but the uh yeah i've been involved in quite a lot of projects i got involved in mountain biking quite early on And I always claim accidentally became a journalist just by writing to a magazine um, and sort of doing some reviews of things. So you you wrote to a magazine, what did you tell them? We told them that their bike reviews were terrible. Um, This was MBUK, probably in about 1989, something like that. Um, And we just didn't feel that the the bike tests were very good. And we knew that the the way we we were riding bikes around the Leeds area um, was uh, much rougher and tougher than we could see in their bike tests. I like that idea of um, write someone and tell them, not only to tell them what you're doing is rubbish, but offer a decent way to improve that as a way of getting yourself signed up for something. Oh, there's an awful lot of people that tell you're doing a, a terrible job. Um, I think the other thing that it's, it's that just wanting to jump in and help 
and not immediately look at locking people down with, with contracts and, and payment and what's the plan and everything like that. You have to go into, I, I have to go into things fairly sort of open-minded, potentially with, the, with the, the, the risk that I may be taking advantage of, but hopefully, you know, instilling some sort of sense of um, uh, goodwilling uh, goodwill gestures and 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 then hoping it'll all plan out in the future you know you can't you can't go in there with a contract and say you know these are my terms you know yeah you, you, you have to have a try it's a bit like falling in love with a beautiful woman you know you you, you go on a few dates and, and you see what happens and and you, you eventually you know six years later end up sharing a house and your life with her signing the contract then first <laughs> date would you recommend the david hockney gallery Saltair, uh, lovely. Um, my, my first date was was sat on a bench in Rochdale with a cup of tea, and that, that's worked out quite well. Oh, later. that's good advice. <laughs> okay, so you, you um, back, back, moving back from dates to starting of stuff, you you uh, you became a journalist, but you've also started quite a few brands related to cycling. Can you t- tell me a bit about that. So, um, having been, I think it is, is it poacher turned gamekeeper? Is that the phrase yes. when you go from? So, so I used to review bikes. And then um, ended up, uh, yeah, hanging out with my friend Dave, who uh, he used to import and, and manufacture bikes um, under the, the brand Planet X. And uh, he had some uh, some sample frames, some single-speed sample frames made up that he'd spotted was a trend coming. And I, I didn't really like single speeds at that time. This would be about 1999. Um, but I rode this bike, and it was great and I could see how it would become a market, and I could see that it was quite difficult to buy a single-speed bike. Um, everybody was sort of making them kind of homespun, uh, making them in the garages, bodging them up from other things. So one of the things we did with On One was make um, it easy for people to buy into that, that new thing, get an off-the-shelf single-speed bike. Um, so that was that was On One. And... Uh, that that you know that that grew. That was one of the very first online bike companies, um, and uh, it, you know it's grown. And it's still still existing today. Everybody's doing online bike companies then, but we decided to start the hardest way possible by making a, a single speed online bike company. That worked, so we figured pr- pretty much anything else would. So what did you um, from starting that up? Um, what what are some of the biggest mistakes you made that you learned lessons from? Ah, oh, I mean the hilarity that you get into like our first bikes turned up and all the head tubes were the same length just because we'd we'd just not specified that at the factory so we had to make some sort of nonsense up about how it was to promote low standover so you wouldn't catch yourself on the top tube um there'll always be some sort of drawing error or mistake i mean one of the things i always think about is that i figure right now apple have like the iphone 15 sat there um, but they're going to sell us the iPhone 14 and the 13 and the 12 and the 11 before that now. There's always a point you have to, whenever you're doing, you know, a- anything, there has to be a point where you say, yeah, enough is enough. I'll press the button now and go for it. Holding off and trying to achieve perfection is usually some sort of recipe for disaster. Um, as long as the disasters that you don't create by not making everything perfect don't kill you. Okay. So I suppose that, well, there's um the... um. I think another problem with striving for perfection is that then you just don't actually start. Yeah, or, or, or stop. You know, you, you, if if you're doing a project for for financial gain, at some point you have to sell the thing. Um, you know, all the R and D and testing and whatever in the world, 
in the real world, you know, it just doesn't work. The, 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 there is nobody going to give you millions of pounds for development anymore. That, that may have happened in the past. It may happen with, you know, very odd sort of drugs type scenarios or things like that. But, you know, you've got to sell these things um, and to get a, a good product out there, whatever that product is, whether it's a physical product or, a, um, you know, a virtual product, you've, you've got to get that thing out there and, and start making money. Um, and trying to control as much of that cost, you know, by keeping costs low, um, by not giving too much of anything away, um, you know, make things, sell them for more than they cost you and plow that money back into whatever it is you need to do. So, do you advocate just starting with some ridiculously small version of a idea rather than trying to think, oh, I want to make some new shoes, right? First thing I need to do is buy a massive factory. How, how do you go about it? Um, starting something uh so yeah i i all my projects tend to be working with existing people who are very good at doing what they're doing and i usually i love going to a factory and rooting around in in their back rooms and cupboards and old show samples and and finding things uh, and then sort of mixing them up in a slightly different way putting a spin on it that even they don't understand finding a unique position and then you know, moving forward with that. I mean, I remember when we first started doing single speed things, we went to um, Joytech, who were a hub manufacturer. And uh, we wanted them to make us a, a single speed rear hub for a dirt jump bike with one three five millimeter rear spacing. And they they had literally no idea. They, they, they said, well, no, this is a BMX product. You know, mountain bike products are very lightweight for cross country. Why do you want this? And we were like, no, no, this, this is the spec. We need to take that hub shell, that axle, that cassette body. And uh, they made us that product and said, you know, this will never sell. And we, we, sold, <laughs> we sold hundreds of them. Or we've done things with like uh, maybe a raw finish mountain bike frame where the, the frame is just um, uh, phosphate coated and then maybe matte lacquered over the top. Um, and, uh, you know, they're saying, well, this looks terrible. Nobody's going to buy this. And we're like, no, no, that's exactly the look. Or the rust is different on this one. We cannot make them all the same. And I'm like, well, it's no problem. People live that individual thing. So it's, it's seeing what a manufacturer can do and then putting your spin on it and being able to move forward with that um, to give yourself some difference in the market. That said, that, you know, there's, there's lots of great stuff out there and, and there's lots of people want to buy different stuff. And so it's just about making your stuff different um, to give yourself some personality. So you start, you, uh, the bike stuff was going well. Mm. You're selling lots of bikes. Um, why do you then decide to start making trousers? Um, trousers were a thing that I started. Um, do you like trousers? I've got over 40 years of, uh, well, nearly, nearly 50 years of trouser wearing experience, <laughs> which I, I think counts for quite a lot. Um, uh, trousers was a, um, an industry that went on in my local town in, in here in Hebden bridge. And, um, about four years ago now, um, due to sort of family circumstances, my children came to live with me full time because their mum was ill and, uh, I could no longer keep going across to China to do sort of factory inspections and trade shows and, and all that sort of thing. And so I realized at that point that, I could I could make a pair of trousers myself about as well as I could weld, as in I couldn't do it at all. Um, but there was a really good factory here and I could, you know, give them directions, say, you know, a bit like this, put the pockets there, make them out of this material, you know, a bit wider here, a bit straighter there. 
and uh, then you realise that actually you're not you're not really a cycle industry person. You're just a, somebody that works with the factory, and then you're able to tell the story of that product, make a good quality product, um, and uh, and market that on the internet quite successfully. We we managed to sell unbelievably um, a week's production at this factory. They claimed um, was 176 pairs, and we thought it'd be fun if we could sell a week's production. Um, though 176 pairs did sound a lot, and we launched a campaign on Kickstarter um, the, for my brand Heb Troco, um, and we managed to sell 176 pairs of Heb Troco trousers in five hours, ten minutes. Um, so, we, yeah, we walked... Well, we actually we emailed the order to the factory uh, the next day um, and then went in a week later um, to be met with sort of the, the, the owner of the factory looking at us a bit confused, saying that he, he thought it hadn't gone very well because he hadn't got an order and it had actually gone into his junk folder. Oh, no. So uh, we, we then found lots of other orders in his junk folder <laughs> that he didn't know God. about either. Oh. Um, yeah, that's, that's the, the demise of British industry. could be down to spam filtering <laughs> rather than anything else. So why, why did that, um, the Hebtro Co., why did, you sell, why did they sell so many trousers so quickly? What was the appeal? Um, we, we just made a, a, a British-made trouser made of moleskin, which is a, a sort of a cloth that has real history around here. Hebden Bridge is known for kind of um, moleskin and corduroy trousers. Um, and whilst the moleskin that we were using, there isn't a moleskin mill anymore. The, the, the moleskin factory was sold to the Chinese in 1983. Um, but it was like, yeah, just a, just a twist on it. And we got some really good um, sort of momentum from a single track mountain bike magazine forum. Somebody just posted on there. Ed and uh, my, my business partner, Ed Oxley, um, and me, we both had quite good sort of social media contacts. And, uh, well, everybody needs trousers, you know. Even people with one leg need trousers, don't they? So, Do you make trousers for people with one leg? We've not yet made trousers for people with one leg, but sadly they would cost the same as people with trousers for people with two legs because the, the, the cost is all sort of balls oh. up, as it were. Is it? Yeah. You can't just get half each. You no. Go partners with another. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't know what to ask after No, uh, <laughs> amongst you there. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you still involved in the trouser company? Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of the interesting things about starting a business is that you know, you, you've really got to look at, at cash flow. And about a year ago, we just realized that the two of us paying ourselves like ridiculous salaries um, and, and going to lunch every day really was going to kind of burn through the company money. <laughs> Our very good accountant, Mr. Fitton in town, said, lads, do you want to run this company or eat it? And uh, so, yeah, no, we, we just looked at, at cash flow and, uh, and I kind of then decided to go and sell. Um, bicycle helmets and, and whatever else with with Planet X. Having spent sort of three years selling very expensive trousers to to people, I, it was relatively simple to sell, you know, very affordable cycling accessories to people um, using kind of the similar similar channels we've been doing in the past. And uh, so back to Planet X, I went. I think for the third time now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. One th one thing I'm really bad at. I don't know if it's bad. Let's say one thing I'm really bad at is changing direction as in i've essentially been doing the same thing more or less now for gosh getting on for 20 years and whenever i think right what i should do now is change and do something different with my life to be that would be interesting i firstly can never have a good idea and secondly i get too scared to even consider doing it so do you do you like doing all these changes from business to business or is it more circumstance well, you see, I, i'd say you're talking nonsense there 
because, hey, this is my podcast. No, no, because you, you started out writing books and now we're recording a podcast. So that is a change of direction. You know, you are essentially a publisher publishing a story about you to allow people to, to buy into your ideas and give you money to allow you to carry on doing things. Um, I was very briefly involved not in a romantic sense, with Sir Ranulph Fiennes a, a very long time ago. <laughs> I love that you have to qualify <laughs> not, that. Not, not, romantic not romantically involved, Because okay, no. both the <laughs> listeners would be thinking that was, that was what the assumption. Okay. Uh, not romantically involved. And, and he rang me up. Uh, he was going to do a, a, something involving mountain bikes. And, uh, and I said, oh, my goodness, you're a great uh, adventurer, I think. A, a word you used to describe yourself, Alistair, yeah? And he said, no, 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 I just write books. I have to come up with these ridiculous ideas uh, to allow me to write books to make money. Um, so I, I felt that was sort of the other way that, that, that you feel sometimes. I've always hated that Ronald Fiennes approach. That's, he always gives that of, why do you do this? Ooh, to pay the bills. I think yeah. it's such a willfully miserable answer. <laughs> I apologise, Sir Ranulph, but I totally disagree with you on that. I do love the, the, the cafeteria story, which is worth looking into if you... If, anyway, um, but, but change... No, I mean, I, I, I think I... I I guess I kind of like selling things to people. I like selling things to people that people think are fun or people think are nice or people think are good value. Um, I've never been very good at creating sort of these layers of, of, of mystique and nonsense and gloss. Everything that I've done, I think, is is relatively straight. So even though we make, oh, good Lord, uh, uh, there's a belt that we sell at Hebtroco and it costs I think we said that one is 300, 250 pounds. It's, it's, it's insane. But I can show you why that is. The, the copper plate that's cut in Batley. Then it goes to Tommy. Tommy spends two hours shaping this buckle. The, the leather comes from that, that cow in, in Devon. So I can show you why. I mean, it is a ridiculous price for a belt, but it's not really a belt. It's a talisman of British manufacturing, British craft. It's a beautiful. Shall I show you my belt? <laughs> is it a piece of string? It is a piece of blue rope. That's lovely. You don't really need it. If you get the right size trousers, you don't need a belt anyway. Yeah. Well, well, if you ride a bike for a long time, then you do need a belt. <laughs> so it, it's it's just sort of cutting through. Like, so with On One, we just made, you know, simple frames, made a 4130 tubing um, that were welded with a good geometry. Um, I remember a phone call, funny phone call from Reynolds, the tubing manufacturers, who said that, uh, did we want to use Reynolds 520 tubing? Uh, no, did we want to buy a sticker saying Reynolds 520? I said, well, we don't use 520 tubing. They said, no, you do. We just sell you a sticker and then you put it on. It's the same tubing. And at that point, you just then realise that the sort of smoke and mirrors that go on, that the, the names that people use for things, it's just a generic product, but they're just putting a badge on it to give it some extra credence. I got quite cross. So we made DN6 tubing because DN6 was the beginning of our postcode at that time. So we had DN6 tubing because we were based in Doncaster at that point on one. Uh, and then we didn't have to pay $5 to Reynolds 520. And then we wrote a big story on the website about this great ripoff that, that was going on, which Reynolds weren't right happy about. But um, anyway, right, so yes. yeah, cutting, cutting through the nonsense and, and selling the right good thing. Do you notice how I went a bit broader when yes. I said that? That's a bit, bit Yorkshire, bit that, isn't it? a good strap line there. Um, okay, I want to change direction now and ask you about running. Because mm. uh, I got here this morning, I was quite knackered. And you said, <laughs> do you want to go for a run? And I said, I'm really busy. And you said, come on, I really want to show you my wood. Yeah. So uh, we went for a run. <laughs> we went for a run yeah. in, in a wood, yes. Yes. Yes, my, my wild wood. Um, so I've been running kind of on and off for about 
Um, started running about five years ago, basically because I was sick of bikes. Um, I'd sort of left the bike industry under a bit of a cloud. But even when I was in it, it, it was just the fact that when you design bikes, it's, it's hard to kind of go for a ride without constantly analysing head angles and tyre grip and rebound damping. And, uh, and there's so much, you know, so much complexity there. My tyres at the right pressure, you know, so much can go wrong. I've got a puncture, my headset's loose. And so there's a real joy of, uh, you know, being quite busy as I am. I've got three kids, um, you know, I work from home. I'm quite disorganised. Um, the house is quite small. Don't like. I haven't got a hose pipe outside. That's one at the back of Blazing Saddles, though. But um, running was was good because it meant I could run all those lovely technical trails in in Hardcastle Crags and all around Calderdale that we used to ride a lot. Um, really got into that. Then about four years ago, snapped my hamstring due to kind of probably incorrectly specced shoes, too much height. Um, had insoles in as well to correct my gait. Um, and then when I was kind of didn't run for a couple of years, rode a bit, um, but just wanted to get back to running and started reading more and more about the sort of minimal shoes, barefoot running shoes, much lower to the ground, things like that. And um, I guess that that sort of started playing with the kind of geeky, geeky side of my brain. Um, I like the idea. And also thinking back about that gait analysis, well, if the, if the ground is kind of moving around, if you're not landing flat, then what, what, how does it matter where your foot is angled? Because your foot's going to be angled anyway. And that kind of led me on to thinking about kind of angled shoes and the shape of shoes and, and why were so many shoes very flat on the bottom. And um, so, yeah, essentially for the last kind of two years i've been designing my own shoes which is, which now means that every run is a bit like mountain biking used to be i'm now analyzing what happens i'm ruining running for myself as well at the same time but this is <laughs> i just asked you uh to tell us about the run and you've just talked about <laughs> you've gone on to talking about products yeah and shoes which yeah. is interesting because i guess it's what well, it says a bit about That's, what's going through your head i didn't pay for psychoanalytica this morning this okay. is, this is uh, yeah I, I i i'm quite a producty person i like okay so but you know coming back to it, i run for for health i run for health i run to de-stress i run to stop me getting a dad bod i run because i quite like drinking beer and eating curry and 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 i don't want to get fat i want to keep looking good i've got a young girlfriend i don't want her running off with anybody else um she doesn't run very fast but Anyway, that's good if you if you want to run a long way. I like running with her because she slows me down and I can keep going. I'm a bit a bit sort of hair. Not she's not a tortoise. Yeah. Um, but but I like to run. I like to run in a very in, in this very very technical wood. It's very twisty, turny, tree roots, boulders, up down different surfaces, um, and uh, yeah, it helps me solve problems. It helps me de-stress. Um, it's really beautiful. Um, I was running there the other night in a lightning storm when the rain was coming down. Um, I've run there when it's very, very hot. Uh, it, it's just great. And it's literally, it's 20 minutes, um, 10 minutes each way, sit on my tree halfway round, maybe do some emails, maybe not. Um, just kind of take stock of the day. Probably do that three times a week. Do some longer <laughs> stuff as well. But really, that's kind of, it's great to have an exercise that that's all I need. All I need to sort of reset and retune. Yeah. It's lovely that I mean, we're in Hebden Bridge, which is a, a pretty, but it's very sort of industrial 
landscape, and then we cro- we crossed the uh, Leeds Liverpool Canal. We crossed no the Rochdale Canal. Oh, Rochdale Canal, mm. uh, and we crossed the Leeds Liverpool train track. No, uh, yeah, no Leeds Manchester train track. Or you can go, you could go to Blackburn. Well, this podcast is really exciting. Uh, and finally, the point of my sentence. Sorry, <laughs> we got out into the woods, and instantly it changes, doesn't it? So, five yeah. minutes from your house, you enter this beautiful beech wood with rocks, big boulders covered in moss, and then um, tell, tell me, tell me about the tree that we went to because that was a really special tree. And, I love a tree. So yeah, no, it's just a, a beautiful tree that has a lovely, lovely curving out bough that sweeps sort of across the canal, and I, and I just just sit there and chill, watch the. It's often deer will walk across, um, solve my problems, take my time. Um, it's also I, I always love that thing on a run where you've you've got to, you've got a physical point to get to, like touch touch a lamppost and run back or something like that. It's nice to have that sort of some sort of sense of, um, you know, like a. a, a a datum just to sort of set yourself against. Is it quite childish or child, <laughs> childlike? Yeah, yeah, possibly. It's like Tig, I'm in, bang, yeah. relievo. I mean, it is, running like that is like playing, you're scampering around. Yeah, but... I don't use Strava anymore. Um, I found that I was like running too fast, always trying to get like personal bests or KOMs or CRs or whatever. And um, my physio, Ali, actually just said, you know, Perhaps you need to come off Strava and just have fun. If you like running in the woods because you like running in the woods, then why are you trying to time it and do it faster? Um, and once you sort of abandon Strava and things like that um, and just go for a run, um, you can go, oh, wonder what's down there and, and, and run off like that. Used to be a bit like, I used to mountain bike with a dog. I had a collie, Cross, and he was quite good at that because you'd be on your regular track and he'd go off somewhere else and you'd go, oh, we don't go that. Oh well, let's go that way and see what happens. It's the the unexpected. Bringing some curiosity into it. Curiosity, yes. So one of the things that I'm doing here is riding around, um, asking different people for their take on how they go about trying to live adventurously. So, what does living adventurously mean to you at at this stage of your life? Uh, I would say uh, I've given this quite some thought. Um, I, I, I guess um, not having a, re- a job contract and not having a pension. I, I, I see that actually when I read oh, the mountain bike forums, when I see how people talk about careers and savings and things like that, um, I think a lot of people would consider that yeah, not having a pension or any form of job contract would be very adventurous. So, uh, sorry, would they think it was adventurous or would they think it was stupid? Because <laughs> there's a difference, isn't there? Oh, I, ah, you see, I've misunderstood adventure all my life in that case. I think, no, yeah, uh, <laughs> not necessarily. Tell me, that, tell me then. I, I think, it, yeah, adventure, it, it, it's, exci- it's certainly exciting. Keeps me on my toes, gives me a challenge. Um, frankly, you know, I, I read today about a guy who, who said that he and his wife had discussed their 10-year plan. And I thought, well, all the best to you, pal, because I tell you, in this day and age, 10 years is, is an awfully long time. I wouldn't like to try and guess um, what's going to happen in the next 10 years. I would rather be, you know... Light on my feet, um, keep my eye immediately on where I'm going and, and try and be reactive. A bit like my running, really. That's so, cheesy. Right. What, what, what can you do now that you won't be able to do in 10 years' time? Uh, well, I'm off to Copenhagen on the plane this afternoon. I, I'm sure we'll be able to do that in, in, a year's, in 10 years' time. Um, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, it's, it's very exciting. What, what are we in now? 2019, 2009. Well, we had the internet 10 years ago. Um, there's, there's certain, some sort of like connections to customers and things like that that are probably better than they were 10 years ago. 
So in terms of feedback, in terms of trying to get people to buy things now, which pay for my life, you know, that's what we do. We sell helmets or shoes or trousers. Um, so connections to, to things. I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the, to predict the future uh, is, uh, well, somebody said it better than I, and I can't remember what the quote is. But, you know, I, I, I really, you know, I try and live yeah, maybe a day, a couple of weeks at a time. I've got my savings for my tax bill next year sorted out. So I'm pretty, I'm cruising now. I'm just, uh, you know, trying to, trying to enjoy it. Uh, try not to work too hard. Try not to buy too much stuff. Um, trying to, yeah, living kind of frugally. You know, I don't have a big house. Uh, certainly not a fancy house. And, um, you know, just, just trying to make enough and offering people value and, and opportunities to have fun. Cool. Well, another thing that I'm trying to do is I'm cycling around. So I've uh, got my... Uh, deck of question cards is this the uh, brian eno thing it's not the brian eno thing but the, i do like the oblique strategies yeah but that is a good thing yeah I should, about that. you can get an app called oblique strategies it's not the same as cars no, though is it uh, no it's not that these are just some <laughs> questions i've written that i'm trying to answer and i'm going around the sort of scrolling pack of different people to get different people's takes on things so if you take a question from the top um you can ignore it if you want what is a good decision you have made in life what can that teach me about making it, I assume that means you. Yes. yes. What is a good decision you have made in life? Hmm. You're going to cut this bit out. This massive pause, aren't you? No, no. Because that no. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. We have um, to depict the reality think, of your intelligence. Uh, I don't want to get all soppy, but my absolute commitment to my current girlfriend has has been transformative um and i i really you know to have a have an absolutely solid partner by your side when you're doing all this stupid stuff she does have a pension oh she's lovely and that's clearly not why i'm with her at all or, or why she's with me um but yeah to have a rock solid partner there to support you um through the sort of the the crazy stuff and add a degree of stability because it kind of comes back to that, you know, startup thing. When you when you're starting anything, you can't afford to be pulling out lots of money and things like that. Um, you need to uh, you need to to plow everything into the business. One of the problems with with Hebtro Co is that we we believed our own press. Fortunately, we were writing it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, she 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 lends a real sense of stability uh to, to everything that i do and and also she she got me into running and i got her into outdoor swimming which is another thing that that we do quite a lot of around here shame we haven't got time to go up onto gadding's dam up on the moor and go swimming but great thank you uh, do another more. one yeah we'll, we'll do a few what book should i read to make myself more wild bold and curious um i don't know i i like boff warley's book um, I've got that upstairs. My my cousin Paul lent me that. That's a good book. Run wild. Run wild. Yeah. I, I met him a couple of days ago. He's he's quite local. Yeah, I, I, I went to his house. I I've never met him. I've read his book. It's absolutely brilliant. He talks about the hundreds of times he's run to Studley Pike and back, um, which I used to hold the record for on Strava for, until a bloke a bloke broke the record a week after I'd snapped my hamstring. And uh, so I won't, I won't be getting, anyway, not on Strava anymore. Um, that's a great book. Um, my personal favourite book of all time um, is a book called uh, All Quiet on the Orient Express by an author called Mag Magnus Mills, uh, which is a novel, um, but it's a beautifully, beautifully written novel. 
um, about a man and a motorbike camping in the Lake District and his misadventures. Oh, I'll definitely check that out. Thank you. Next. Who was the most adventurous grown-up you knew when you were a child? (laughs) Uh, My marvellous father. Um, Yeah, it it would have to be my dad. Yeah, definitely. He... uh, he met when he met my mum. He was a rock climbing instructor at uh, CHA Holidays. In uh, they met in uh, Lamphafecken. Uh, the I think the, the weekend they met, he climbed a rock climb in the Lamberis Pass called Brant Direct, which is why I am called what I am called. Um, he did the Welsh uh, three thousanders when he was forty in eleven and a half hours, um, a time that I still have not get any, got anywhere close to. In spite of the fact he did it on orange pop with big walking boots and cheese sandwiches, um, he got you know got me into cycling um, by uh, he, he used to t- teach at a school about six miles from our house in Bingley. Um, and uh, he used to go by car. We used to ride quite a lot because I grew up in um, originally in Ghoul near Hull, very flat. We used to ride bikes a lot there, and then when we moved to Bingley, it was very hilly. Um, and uh, one winter, um, it snowed an awful lot, and my dad had to get to school because the Lord Mayor um, was coming to open the new swimming pool. Uh, and so he actually borrowed my bike, and I would be about nine at the time, and borrowed <laughs> my bike and rode the six miles to school, uh, on this bike so he could uh, set the school up for the Lord Mayor and absolutely loved it and, and got back into cycling. And, um, yeah, it was that kind of love of cycling that then um, combined with the kind of hill walking, that obviously led me into mountain biking, um, which, you know, I got a mountain bike in 86. So that's, you know, quite early days, really. You're telling me that your dad is still um, king of the mountains and some Strava segments now in his seventies. Yeah, he he absolutely loves Strava. In fact, we play we play um, we play Grandpa Grandpa Bingo when we go to uh, go to his house. It's seeing how long it is before he talks about Strava when we get there. <laughs> He's got a Garmin, um, you know, Forerunner uh, watch, and it's it's really really changed his uh, his attitude to cycling. He's got, um, yeah, he's got an on-one fat bike, actually. That's his, that's his weapon of choice at the moment. And a, and a titanium frame that I made him too. Um, but yeah, he's out there. I mean, he'll be, he's probably riding 100 miles a week or something like that on, on kind of towpaths and stuff like that around Bingley. So yeah, it, it, it's loving it. That's a, that's a good, uh, inspiring note for us to end on, I think. He sounds like a very cool dad. Um, thank you very much for um, making me breakfast. No problem. Taking me for a run. That's great. And uh, give me all these good answers. Thanks very much. Cheers. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Living Adventurously. There's show notes from every episode on my website, alistairhumphreys.com slash podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please take a screenshot of your phone and pop it up on social media or leave a review with your podcast provider. It makes a massive difference. Thank you very much. I teamed up with Kamut to make this podcast happen. In case you missed it, Kamut is an outdoor planning and navigation app that helps you explore more of the great outdoors. One of the many ways Kamut helps you have better adventures is with detailed route profiles. So, You've got your basic route in place with Kamut. Next step is to check the route profile. 
The profile displays the information you want to see, like the, the surface type, especially important if you're on a bike, and elevation profile, <laughs> especially important for everyone, the ups and the downs. On a road bike, for example, that means you can anticipate the big climbs or ensure your adventure only includes tarmac, unless you want to spice it up and you want to suffer, in which case you can hunt for a gravel route or more single track. If you're hiking, you'll be able to see your elevation gain, as well as where on the route you'll need to push on to get through the uphills. Your very own outdoor experiences are waiting for you. Go explore more with Kamut. Head to kamut.com g and use the voucher code ADVENTUROUS to claim your free region bundle.